From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in Undying, rewarding Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are roguelikes and crowdfunding. We're also going to talk about E3, so get ready for that. And so, if everyone else is ready, let's start. E3 did happen. It did. Uh, I guess a week or two ago now. Yep, and there was no news. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing yeah. at all exciting. You know, I just listened to <laughs> our pre-E3 talk, yeah. our previous roundtable, and we, we had the consensus was like, meh, E3. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, I don't think I, I think I kind of oversold that a little bit, because, like, I do like watching these press conferences, and, like, I, I end up walking away with very few things I'm actually, like, hardcore excited about. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of like the atmosphere of it a little bit. Sure. Like I like the sort of like here's our wares. Like I'm I'm sort of into that, and I don't think I expressed that quite enough. I think mm-hmm. I think I came off more cynical because uh, it's really easy to be cynical about E3. It is. Right? <laughs> I don't like watching the press conferences themselves, yeah. but I like all the uh, like games journalism stuff that happens around it. Like yeah, yeah. Like Giant Bomb does their Giant Bomb After Dark thing mm-hmm. where they like just have a bunch of people in and talk. Yeah. And stream for like three hours every yeah, night. I yeah. think that that's for me too. Like I, I don't really like the conferences as much because it oftentimes just feels like they're showing a bunch of trailers or games. I'm not generally interested in, but like afterwards when they have the actual E3 stuff going on, uh, I'm more interested in that because you get to see the developers playing the game and talking about it and getting excited and stuff. And that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, Martha. The, there's a ton of content comes out mm-hmm. interviews and stuff, especially right. um, Kotaku split screen. One of my favorite video game podcasts, they tend to do for events like this, like GDC and E3, you'll get a bunch of really great long form interviews. Uh, that I think Jason Schreier is the one uh, who does them. Um, it, it, uh, there's a couple of ones on cyberpunk and like, it was all really good. So yeah, yeah. I think that might be part of what I like about it. And I just didn't express it that way. It's really good. I just can't watch the press conferences because they're like them talking is so cringe. <laughs> <laughs> All of the, you know, it's uh, that so much less of that is happening these days. Uh-huh. It's mostly just trailers now. Yeah. I was, yeah, pleasantly surprised when I was watching, I watched, um, Polygon had a bunch of streams where it was just the Polygon folks watching the stream yeah. of the thing and then commenting <laughs> on it in media res or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was funny because I didn't have to hear, the cringy dialogue and or monologue, <laughs> but I got to hear them talk about it. But yeah, I didn't have to skip through. I didn't have to fast forward that many times right. through the speeches because <laughs> it was all trailers, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a few musical presentations mm-hmm. that I didn't particularly. I like. I like. Yeah, they had like especially Sony. Sony had two of them. Mm-hmm. They had the the banjo playing guy. And oh yeah, the, uh, it was a guitar. <laughs> Yeah, it looked like a banjo, I guess. <laughs> and uh, they also had the the flute playing guy. Yeah, and like who apparently he's one of the very few people who can play that instrument oh. with any skill. Uh. Um, and, and there's been a lot of stuff online about him in particular, like looking into. Oh, this is a guy we're discovering now. So that's kind of interesting to go. Oh, go that's into. cool. Yeah, I just I don't know. It's not really why I went to why <laughs> yeah. I watched the conferences, but I mean, yeah. sure, whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, what actually happened ba- during E3 was Smash, and basically that's it. There's nothing else that's important. <laughs> that's a good description of the, the <laughs> Nintendo uh, Direct because because yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm like a I'm a on the sidelines Smash supporter. I'm like, uh-huh. good for you, Smash fans. Enjoy your Smash, Smash. But <laughs> like, I was like, where's Yoshi? Where's Metroid Prime? Yeah, like uh, some. Uh, I, I'm not like everyone's like bum there's no animal crossing i yeah. don't care it's not for me mm-hmm. but like there was nothing 
pretty much nothing that wasn't already announced that wasn't true. smash and then Very they spent true. all the time like a 20 minute patch notes uh, uh, <laughs> which was okay like as as a smash fan yeah. that was amazing but make a smash direct or something like uh, I it mean, just they, took over the presentation they they did announce before e3 that this was going to be basically smash like the whole the whole thing was well no they said that the e3 presence the show for pleasant presence would be smashed the oh. way it was mario odyssey last year breath of the wild the previous year right but they like those both of those times they also spent i think a lot of time during their E3 presentation. Oh yes, that's yeah. true. So I like, think just it seems like it was uh, a little more lopsided this year. Sure, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. You didn't notice because you were like, "Smash, no. smash, smash." Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I, I got to tell you all a story. Okay. I was I was uh, at work watching this thing, and man, that was a mistake because I was uh, I was just sitting there watching the thing, and then Sakurai shows up, and he's like, "Hey, this this this, this new Smash game," and I was like, oh, "Okay, you are already extremely hyped." And then they start talking about it, and then the news is is that basically every character from any Smash game is in this game. And so like he they just kept like hint, hinting at all the people and then like Snake showed up and I was and I and I couldn't scream. So I I I cuz I was at work. So all I did was I was just mashing on the keyboard just to my brother. I was like I could that's all I could do and I was probably being just as loud by mashing my keyboard than screaming but like and I was here and, <laughs> yeah. and your brother was telling me what you were smashing on the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah but you work at a video game development company like I know. When, didn't you all watch it together no, no. we didn't uh, we were working and not everybody's as interested in smash you gotta quit that job <laughs> <laughs> clearly <laughs> no no i love it <laughs> um but like it's it was it was wonderful and like the way that they timed everything out and like since i'm really into smash i i really like that like they put a lot of emphasis on the um the competitive side of smash like they talked about perfect shielding and like they in the in the um the E3 treehouse themselves, it all they brought like professional Smash players on and they had them play the game and they were talking about how like Nintendo really appreciates all you've been doing, all that the community's been doing and stuff. They spent like five minutes talking about how great their community was. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, and then they also talked about like frames and like frame advantage and all this stuff on stage. And I was like, wow. So that it, it yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated that a lot. But yeah, if you're not interested in Smash, then there wasn't much else there uh-huh. from, from Nintendo, anyways. And I, you know, I'm sort of teasing about it, but m- more than that, like uh, when Brawl came out, like that's yeah. the Smash I played, and yeah. it's the, also the Smash everyone else forgot. Mm-hmm. So like, it kind of dropped out of that community pretty immediately. Sure. But um, the thing about Smash is it really isn't welcoming to newcomers in a way that like every Smash fan will be like, no, no, it totally is. It's super not. And the presentation made it really clear that they're not making this game for anybody but like Melee and Smash 4 super fans. Hmm. That's uh, re- I mean, that's, that was just the attitude it came off as. Okay. I'm like, that's fine because those are the people who are going to support it and, and everything. But it just, like, I wanted to, I wanted to be like, casually excited about it like, the way I am about stuff like this. I thought it was cool that they were explaining stuff, though. That mm-hmm. was showing, like, that made it a little bit more accessible. Like, yeah. hey, this is how you do the, like, these are things that people do to get really good. Yeah. Uh, and so if you want to get really good here, like actual explanations of how to do stuff, yeah. and they've made, it's pretty cool. They've made some things more approachable, like short hop, um, short hop attacks. Like they made that easy by just pressing two buttons at the same time. So there's that. But I don't, <laughs> that's kind of exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, okay. I don't just like that. Uh, the, 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 the assumption of the level of, of intuitiveness is that, that, that is the minimum is what you're saying. Like, yeah, <laughs> just, I, well, I, when I play, all I do is press the attack button, and if I'm Kirby, then swall- like the button that swallows people. Yeah. So, and I'm not very good, <laughs> but it is still fun. It still hits people. 
Yes. So and then I get pa- their powers and I don't know how to use their powers. And so then I just <laughs> continue to attack with the regular attack button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But I have a cool costume. Yeah. So every character ever, but you don't care. You just want to play as Kirby. I mean, I, I care a little bit. Well, yeah. Ice back Climbers are Pe- back. Pichu's back. Pichu's back. Uh-huh. I love Pichu. I don't know why Pichu was terrible in Melee, yeah. but I love Pichu. <laughs> so I'm really excited for Pichu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think that's cool, though. Yeah. That, 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 that is the focus of this one, uh-huh. is like the everything from everywhere kind of idea. I think yeah. that is pretty cool. Yeah. That was, that was fun. But there are other things that haven't decided from Smash. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cyberpunk 2017? 77? Uh-huh. 2077. That thing? Yes. Yeah. That looked kind of cool. Yeah, it looked uh, really great. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> also, I was really excited to learn that it's going to have character creation, which means I mm-hmm. probably will get to play a girl, and I'm really excited. Yeah, I, I read a thing, and you can customize your character, which really seems strange to me because it's a first-person shooter. It's basically so like, Mass Effect, where you get yeah. to you choose your gender, and they're both fully voiced, yeah. both characters, and then you get to do your character creation. And then right. one of the interviews that I, I saw with the developer was like, yeah, first person is really important because, and I was kind of surprised because this is the CD Projekt Red. They mm-hmm. made The Witcher. Right. And so a first person shooter off of a third person hack and slash game, it does seem like not their expertise. But um, he made a really compelling point for why first person was important is that you're in this city, and it's hard to look up in a third person game. And like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. that's, that's great. True. And so it's it's about the experience of it. And so they designed a lot of their mechanics around that about making about holding on to that feeling and making sure it was consistent. Sure. And I'm like, great. That I I, I have a lot of trust in that that motivation for those types of yeah, things. Yeah, I, I mean that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But they say like you know there's still a lot of opportunities to see your character okay. and cutscenes and reflections and stuff. He said so. okay. Uh, it's like in, De- in Destiny. Yeah. Plus you're always just looking at uh, um, uh, Geralt's ponytail, so it's not like. You're not really looking at your character that much in a third-person game anyway. I mean, there's a lot more to look at than, than Geralt than just the ponytail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Uh, also, Spider-Man. Spider-Man looked fun. I'm excited about Spider-Man. Um, or I guess I thought I was. Oh. But it turned... Because it's very much like Arkham, like the Batman yeah. Arkham games. Yeah. Really very much like it. So much. And there's like no development crossover at all, but it just it seems... Because those mechanics are so Spider-Man-y. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it seems kind of perfect. Like, I'm glad Insomniac didn't feel that they had to stay away from any of that. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, fears of being, you know, told they're copying it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I just like Batman more. I guess I just realized, like, I want kind of a more... A sunny, the Spider-Man kind of bright kind of atmosphere. I, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, uh, I like the Batman games because they had a lot of the same uh, creative forces, the animated series. Yeah. But the art style and that it was a little bit dark and grimy for me. Right. Um, but I love those games. And I love Batman. And I realized, I guess I just don't like Spider-Man as much. Ah, okay. And I was, it was kind of a realization. I'm like, this just looks like Arkham, but it doesn't star Batman. And so I guess I'm not as excited. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to play it, though, because I love Insomniac games. Yeah. And I do like Spider-Man. Yeah. I just, I thought I'd be more excited. About yeah. It. I guess it was kind of a weird moment for yeah. me. Well, huh. realization. Yeah. Yeah, I, I if they should make a Batman game based off of like nineteen seventies Batman or something. Nineteen sixties Batman? Is it that old? Sixties. Nineteen sixties. Yep. Because that'd be kind of interesting. Or you know, there's a there's a cartoon series that's pretty popular, uh, uh, the Brave and the Bold. Yeah, that's I've good. never seen it, but I hear that it's very bright and and fun. It is, and it's I, fun. like that's a, that's a cool take on Batman. I'm mm-hmm. glad I'm glad it's being kept alive. I think there are games based off of that, but they're not oh, yeah? like Arkham games. Sure, sure. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Last of Us Two. A lot of people talked about that. Yeah. Uh, that had that uh, uh, pretend banjo player. Yes, uh, yeah. That music it, is so good. Yeah, like, like no, I, like the music was good. Yeah, it's just weird in the in the E three conference, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I couldn't complain because the music was good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, they had everybody go into a church that I'm convinced they built there, 
at E3? It seems that's the case. Okay. Yeah, it, and they just shot it very. They had like false walls. Yeah. to make it look realistic. Um, but like there was no context for that when you're watching the conference. Right, like yeah. they didn't make a big deal about about it. And so it's just like, why is it in this really terrible environment? And then they they show the trailer, and it's like, wait, I guess it uses the same. I guess this is sort of similar. Like mm-hmm. it didn't. They didn't signpost it enough no, to make didn't. it worthwhile for them to did all that. Right. And then um, I guess for people who didn't see it, that they, they opened the presentation in this. Yeah, it was a mock up of this like uh, this like Presbyterian like uh, uh, church. Mm-hmm. And then um, once the trailer was over, they did a big long break as they moved everybody to like an auditorium. <laughs> yep. And it was just. It was so silly. It's awkward. Yeah. Um, but the, the, that church <laughs> appears in the trailer at the beginning. Oh, you can see Martha cringing. But only barely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but there, a lot of reaction to it. There's two things people reacted to. One was uh, the, the kiss mm-hmm. that uh, the Ellie, the main character, has with uh, um, uh, her crush. Or I guess the a woman who's crushing on her. I thought they were together already. The way they were reacting. It seemed a little bit more like a first kiss to me oh. in the way that, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, one, it's ten, it was a very impressive animation. Yeah. There's a very common thing in kisses on video games because you have these two character models and they they don't share world space or something. So like, it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was very even in cutscenes they always they tend to turn away and whatever. So um, uh, that was really impressive technically. Uh-huh. Uh, also this uh, also story wise it was like a compelling scene, which yeah. is sort of interesting. And then cut to just this uh, gameplay sequence that was probably very scripted uh. that just utterly gruesome. And like th- that contrast, uh, those two things people really had a lot to say about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of the scriptingness, I read a thing on it. it I mean, it was like very, uh, they were very particular about where Ellie was in during the gameplay, it but was it was choreographed. Choreographed. Yes. Yeah. That's a better way of saying it. Yeah. 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 yeah but I mean like, yeah. All, so all of that stuff could happen, but like they were particular about it. So that's why it looked all smooth. And stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, one of the famous example of this is the Bioshock infinite E3 reveal uh-huh. some many years ago. Uh-huh. That was very impressive. It turns out it was all a cutscene. Oh, and yeah. it's a great story on, on why they, why they felt they could get away with it and why uh-huh. they, why they did it. And because you look at the fun, the, the Bioshock Infinite is one of the great disappointments of history. And <laughs> might be overdoing it, but <laughs> okay. But that that trailer had a ton of those like really like dynamic moments, and you know these things are always choreographed by the developers. These these reveals, but the amount that that was fully scripted, and a lot of people are are, are a little bit suspicious that the Last of Us thing because there's so much dynamic animation and environmental sure, interaction. Yeah. But I have a lot of faith in Naughty Dog's ability because I think the when the first Last of Us was revealed, it was similarly like, how did they manage that? Mm. Um, and I think Corey, I'm sure there was a little bit of cheating, like the, uh, um, making the enemy AI more predictable so they could yeah. run, run the choreographed yeah, elements. Sure. But I, but I, 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 I believe, you know, I mean, maybe I'm being suckered again, but um, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. That's what we're here for. E3 <laughs> is for suckers. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like the violence though. I did not like the violence, but uh, that's because I just in general don't like a bunch of gore and stuff. Yeah, uh, I like appreciated it from a it's very gruesome and that's kind of the point of The Last of Us. But yeah, it, I was like, eh, it's too much. Mm-hmm. I don't want anything to do with this. So I I really liked it. In a, I don't like I don't like violent games generally, and yeah. I don't like I, I especially don't like power fantasies. I hate those. Like I I feel I get I get nervous when a game expects me to enjoy that kind of stuff. Mm. And and it, it just it, then I just I dissociate from it. Um, but in Last of Us, um, it, in the trailer, it, I thought it was just so effective in like actually convincing you that this was horrible, uh-huh. and that and that while the gameplay might be fun, that that's divorced from the sort of story implications. And I think that that that's a that's a I think that's a I might be giving it too much credit, but I think that's a mature like application of of um, of game development in that like. 
just because you're embodying this character doesn't mean that like every feeling she has is the feelings you have and yeah. every feeling you have is the feelings that she has. Yeah. And the fact that they're able to sort of put those apart from each other where it's like, oh, it's really fun to sneak around and, and get that kill. But then especially a lot of the animation where you can see her like just like the nervousness in her eyes and the mm-hmm. way she's, you know, like the, as the, and you know, the choreographed uh, third person camera movements yeah. sort of she see her reactions to what she's doing. Like it still feels like the story is, uh, legitimate and consistent, and then the, the way that the 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 reveal was was uh, done is it cuts back to the the the, the dance at the church, uh-huh. and you know where she's reflecting on the monster she's become in in a sense, uh-huh. and like I mean it's not the most sophisticated storytelling, but like I thought it was good, and I thought the use of those interactive elements as you as the player experience and be, and do that I don't know I just, I think that I think it's good, and I think okay. it's more more than just like you know the kind of violence you'd see in like an uncharted game which does some which you know which is sort of similarly structured well i can take the violence in uncharted i guess it's largely because there's no blood <laughs> but <laughs> but like yeah it was it was just like i like i said i appreciated all that stuff yeah but like i could not watch a lot yeah, of it yeah. because it was too gory right and like if that's the deal breaker then there's nothing yeah. that can be done about it right right yeah Martha, did you did you watch that trailer? I did not. Okay, I heard uh, about the blood, and I didn't watch it. Okay, mm. <laughs> understand. <laughs> uh, so the next thing on our list of E three stuff is actually it's it's um it's more industry stuff. So Beyond Good and Evil two uh-huh. finally coming out. I never played the first one, so I don't understand the 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 all the the like what's so great about it it's just really niche and not a lot of people appreciate it yeah so like but this sequel yeah. is like a big oh it's like every game genre at once mm. like they're really going for it so so it feels like it's going to make a lot of new fans because the first game apparently is nothing i don't know whatever yeah but um one of the things they announced on stage was um joseph gordon levitt the actor who also runs a company called hit record mm-hmm. which is a sort of crowdsourced kind of collaboration sort of thing um where artists submit like half finished work and then other artists will work on like work on it as well and then the, they'll pitch it to someone and then everyone gets like a little bit of money if it goes anywhere but anyway they're partnering with uh, ubisoft to uh, run a, a a project where you submit a bunch of uh, artwork that is meant to be like graffiti or bits of radio or like elements in this game um and the problem is it had tons of backlash because it's basically just asking fans to to do the work for ubisoft right and i think that their defenses of it seem to come from a good place but I think it misses the fundamental structure of what this is, which is leveraging the excitement about getting, you know, getting the exposure. Like literally, this is the perfect example of exposure uh. for unpaid artists. Um, where un- that said, that people will be paid if their art, their work is used. Yeah. But it's a process called spec work, which um, if you have ever worked in freelance as a designer or as a developer, um, this is a very dangerous idea where a company will say. Hey, uh, you know, you look like a person who can make things. We have some things that need made, but listen, we don't have a relationship. So why don't you make it? And then if I like it, I'll buy it from you and right. pay you money and it will be great. And if I don't like it, then I'll just move on to somewhere else. That seems fair. Right. And it's just, it's very exploitive. Yeah. And, um, that is exactly what's happening here. And as much as their protestations about how like, Oh no, it's, you don't just submit your thing like a contest. It's like there's collaboration and like, it, no, it's, it's, it's spec work. And, um, the polygon had an article about the, the reaction and there's a particularly, there's a great organization called no spec. that has been around for many years and, uh, they've taken up this cause because it's a, every time there's a high profile example of this. Um, and the thing is, and like, I, I look at that announcement and I'm like, Oh, I would love to do that. And I'm like, Oh no, it's evil though. <laughs> 
And like that, it's so compelling. Like as an artist, you're like, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll take an afternoon and make a thing. Like I'm not being, I'm not being victimized by that, but like the whole system and aggregate is, uh, is, is bad. And uh, I feel really strongly about that a lot because I'm very tempted by things like this to like participate. Um, and, and I have to remind myself that like, no, it actually, it's, it's not, it's not how things should be done. Has anyone ever asked you to work for free? I mean, y'all <laughs> ask me to make tea a lot. It's not quite the same thing. Yeah. I like making tea for people. <laughs> okay, Stephen, you're always like, does anybody want tea? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's true. Um, uh, I, uh, I really don't know enough about the topic to yeah. say things, <laughs> is my feeling. You've never been a freelancer. Not really, no. Yeah. I mostly agree with you, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to do because, like, on one hand, it would be cool to have and it's like would be a cool community thing if everybody got to like if everybody got to have it in there uh yeah. you know and it wasn't as long as it didn't say something bad you know mm-hmm. yeah and like and you know there's a there's a difference between like conceptual harm and actual harm right yeah like if i'm an artist and i'm like I've got a weekend. This will be a fun thing to do. You know, like people make their own little like random art things and put them on the internet. Yeah, like that's, art no one's paying for that. Right. Um, but in this case, it's being used for a commercial purpose. And if I submit it to this process, uh, I don't, I'm not guaranteed pay for it, sure. even though it isn't essentially professional work that's being asked of me. Um, the, the difference is I think the way they can get, a, the reason they get away with this is that they, they're saying, oh, we're not asking for professional work. We're asking for amateur work that we will we will pay some people a professional rate. So it sounds like a really good thing. It sounds like, a, oh, you never get paid for your fan art, but now you will. But what it actually is, is we're asking for you to do work professionally. That that someone could be paid more money for to do. Yes, that's that's another good point of it is is that like they could just hire artists for these things. Um, I, th- I But I think, you know, the motivation, I feel is kind of comes from a good place. It's yeah. like, they say, yeah. we, we want, we want a lot of diversity of styles. We want to be surprised. We don't want to art direct a lot of this. And we also just need a lot of options. Right. And we to, to place all over this big open world. I totally get that as an efficient way to produce these things. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is like, it, it does come down to send, do some work on, on spec that it, and that is the bottom line. Um, you know, there are other ways to do it, but maybe aren't, and you know, there's other, like maybe it's not as efficient for Ubisoft. Well, too bad Ubisoft, you know, um, I don't know. It's it's kind of fraught because when you think about it for like any particular individual situation, you're like, eh, it's no big deal. And I don't begrudge anybody for trying it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're not you're not like you're not crossing the 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 uh, the, the strikers line by 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 drawing something and sending it to them and hoping, yeah. right? Because yeah. if you treat it like a contest, fine, go ahead. Um, I just think that you know, I I I, I don't know. It's just a, it's a bad attitude, and I don't like it from coming from these companies. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, there's another thing you want to complain about maybe the Square Enix presentation oh yeah I mean I'm not super hyped about most Square Enix things yeah. there was basically nothing at the presentation it was 30 minutes of uh, oh geez what's his name we made Final Fantasy Keith remember David. Keith David thank you yeah Keith David was the only good thing about that <laughs> but presentation also that, yeah. <laughs> yeah Keith David's great yeah. but uh, yeah so just pay Keith David to make your 30 minute trailer yeah. that's fine as far as I know there were no announcements of any kind it was just new content for games that were already announced I believe so I'm okay. excited about Shadow of the Tomb Raider oh yeah but I mean I was already excited about that I, right. I actually don't it's one of those things I don't ever I don't need to watch any trailers I'm just gonna get that game like mm-hmm. I don't I'm not excited when new content for stuff like that comes out um, but yeah there was nothing I don't know. There's, there was not much there. Yeah. Uh, 
But let's talk about the presenters. Yeah. So uh, I noticed this in the, the Bethesda conference where they opened their conference, uh, their press conference this year with a, a prepackaged video that was voiced by like their receptionist, which was kind of cute, or at least mm-hmm. seemed like it was, mm-hmm. where they talked about the sort of community they have at the company and how they really value diversity uh, amongst their staff um, as well as amongst their games and how, um, and it just seemed like a really positive forward message. Yeah. And then the presentation went on to showcase a bunch of first-person action games, yeah. uh, all presented by white men. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like I, I believe them when they say that they're interested in these topics, but I feel like they set them, they set a bar for themselves and immediately failed it. Mm. I don't, I haven't seen a lot of comments on this, but like it, that just struck me. I don't know. I mean, I've seen a lot of E3 conferences. Yeah. And it, and in that, in terms of ratio, that much hasn't changed very much. Yeah. So I guess I wasn't expecting much. Right. That's kind of my feeling. <laughs> so I, I basically I'm saying I agree with you. Yeah. But like yeah. I also am not disappointed because I didn't expect much. Okay. I guess, I guess it's just it's because they set that bar. Oh, sure. No, and, no, and, no you're right. And not just about the because it's a thing every year about how, you know, the presenters are such. And a lot of yeah. that is because the people who present are the people who are in charge and that's that's a that's a bigger problem, mm-hmm. right? Um but uh, I was just struck by there's like we making all sort of different types of games and they yeah. super aren't. Like Bethesda makes one type of game and it's fine. It's great. People can love them. But like, I was kind of, I'm like, who do they think they are? Like who are they? They're fooling. Like, I don't know all of that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, someone made a chart of all the different, uh, the demographic breakdowns, of the E3 presenters this year. And there were no women of color. There were 11, uh, uh, white women and 11 men of color and, but total 77 presenters. So, uh, another dismal showing uh, on that front. I think these companies know this, um, I don't, I, I'm sure that there's some efforts. They've uh, made some smaller efforts in the past. But like the results are just not really showing and that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, it's another, it's another hearts in its right place kind of scenario. I think I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt only as far as that. Um, but at the same time they have, they have to, they just have to do better. They do. Right. Yeah. We'll there's talk, n- no more excuses. We'll talk more about this in our diversity episode coming up. <laughs> 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 I mean, one day we'll talk about it. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I basically yeah. I agree with you. There was something else missing from these presentations. Aisha Tyler. Ah, I'm so mad. <laughs> yes. Well, she's been missing for a while. Yeah, I, I know. Well, I'll, I mean, she could make the worst jokes for 90 minutes, and I would love any presentation she did that for. You. I, I totally agree. But that's not what I was talking about. Oh. Something, <laughs> there was something else missing. There were no suits. <laughs> yeah. Get, get into this. Oh, please. my goodness. Okay. We need to stop this. Wearing a blazer and a T-shirt and jeans and calling that a presentation outfit. Wear your suits. Put on a tie. Put on a belt. Go up there and look presentable and classy, doggone it. I can't stand it anymore. Well, what happens when they start inviting women to these things? Uh, do you want them to wear, like, nightgowns? Like, what? Yeah, <laughs> just look classy up on the stage. Like, just instead of wearing stuff you wear to work. That's just it's a big <laughs> event. You should be wearing clothes that are appropriate for the size of the event. Sean Layden, you wore a suit. Yeah. He was up there. The Sony guy. The Sony guy. Yeah. And I appreciate it. And he is the one who looked like he least belonged up there. (laughs) Well, that's fine. That's because everybody else was wearing t-shirts and jeans. Like literally almost Uh every person was wearing t-shirts and jeans. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Old man McGregor. Uh (laughs) He's back. I desperately want to hear from a listener who agrees with you. If 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 you're the one listener who agrees with Steven, I want to hear more about this. Somebody back me up, please. Cause goodness <laughs> sake. I mean, suits are classy. Thank you. They are classy. There's nothing wrong with suits. Uh huh. Wear more suits. 
People should wear outrageous costumes. That's shoot. That's much better than <gasps> they should the dress same up thing. as Mario. No matter which which <laughs> company they're presenting for. Okay, I was gonna say Miyamoto uh, at last year's Ubisoft conference uh, had uh, a bunch of props from Mario plus Rabbids. Yeah, uh, but he was also wearing a blazer and a t-shirt. I know. So. <laughs> and famously, in I think 2004, he came up with the uh, uh, the uh, Master Sword and Master Shield. Oh yeah, and. Also, blazer and a t-shirt yeah. in that presentation. But that's because that's just the style of E3 now, and I'm sick of it. You say now, but like it's been that way for a good while. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's been the style for... Yeah, it's you want to go back to like 1980s Comdex, mm-hmm. basically. I want people... Yes. Ill-fitting like, beige suits. Fine. Striped ties. At least make an effort. <laughs> just try. Like Mario suit, yes. Let's have everybody up there in red red shirt and overalls. I'm fine with it. Everybody at every literally conference. everybody in literally every conference. Time for uniforms. Yeah, <laughs> the uniform is. Burning. You guys can't dress yourselves, obviously. <laughs> right. So just- Here's your official E3 suit. <laughs> I see you're wearing red overalls. It's nice. Are you working video games? I assume. <laughs> they'll say, who, uh, "Who are you wearing?" And they'll, they'll just say, "Nintendo." Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay there's my rant okay well i guess that's the end of e3 talk then yeah it's a suitable end because there's nothing that can top that nope uh, uh next piece of sort of news that i don't know how important this is to other people but it's important to me budget cuts is out yeah and i haven't played it yet i know neither have I. i've been so busy this past week and on our timeline where we're recording this it came out just a couple days ago and i already bought it i've installed it i'm just waiting for like any free time at all mm. to like actually play the damn thing. I don't know. I have to reset up my vibe. I haven't set it up since uh, we did that VR talk. Yeah. And I still haven't cleaned it from all the people who played the game. <laughs> 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 so that'll have to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Should we just Disinfected. stop the show now and just, we got some time today, right? Oh <laughs> my God. Cut the episode short. And go play <laughs> well, that cuts. was the episode guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thanks for watching. Something, something. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if 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 we mess up this podcast, then we might have to start over. Uh. Uh, uh. <laughs> well done, well done, well done. The topic is roguelikes, if that wasn't clear yet. Uh, <laughs> so I, I recently discovered that I really like roguelikes. Um, I just came to this conclusion because I kept buying them and going like, oh, this is fun and playing it for a long time. I was recently playing Wizards of Legends. Uh, on the switch mm-hmm. where you you play as this wizard and you just buy it and you can have a bunch of different spells and stuff there's a lot of legends about yeah, you there's a that you you become a wizard of legend ah if you beat the whole thing that's what the <laughs> game's about <laughs> um which is kind of weird because you technically don't die you just lose the little the campaign to get yourself to be a wizard of legend thing um but i want to talk about them because i like them and they fun <laughs> <laughs> that's my excuse uh so what makes a roguelike in my opinion, all you need for a roguelike is permadeath and procedural generation. But there's like a whole. Apparently, there was like there's like a a a, a I, I looked it up. What is it? International roguelike development conference. There's an international Oof. roguelike development conference. Ooh. And in fact, in the international development rogue, international roguelike development conference of 2018, they like classified a bunch of different things that makes things more or less roguelike right like and, you don't have these things get out of our conference well yeah it, it felt it's like <laughs> like I, I i obviously i didn't go to this thing but like it feels like it's kind of elitist yeah in that um the 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 classifications and stuff that they said on this thing it they said that it's not they don't specifically if you have these qualities it doesn't necessarily make you more or less of a roguelike it's just things that they expect 
from the genre. Mm. It's just really weird to me that they have a whole conference dedicated to a specific genre of games. Because um, there's no international fighting game thing. I'd be on that every month or week, <laughs> year, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's because not a lot of people make fighting games. Well, that, that's true. Isn't that, I mean, that's what this conference is. It's for developers, not for players. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, it is. So I, th- um, I think that's the difference. I suppose. Because so many indie games are roguelikes. That, yeah, that's very true. Um, so, yeah, uh, examples of roguelikes. Rogue, obviously, mm-hmm. is the, the OG one. Yeah. Um, but it's not the original one. Uh, a lot of the roguelikes were built to, like, they were like text-based games. I think Rogue is also a text-based game. And they were really meant to try and simulate Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and that's why, like, if, you, if you're going through this dungeon and then you die from whatever, uh, uh, that's why there's permadeath and stuff and you have to restart, you have to rebuild your character, just like you do in Dungeons and Dragons. And so that was, like, the game, this genre is supposed to emulate that. At least mm-hmm. it originally was. Yeah. But then there was a resurgence of roguelikes. Uh, what I like to say, it started with Spelunky, but there were games a little bit before Spelunky. Um, and now we have roguelikes that are roguelites. Yeah. Uh, I got to emphasize it because I don't <laughs> emphasize my letters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. You should be emphasizing words instead. Mm, good point. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at any rate, there, yeah, so there are other examples. So like Spelunky is one. Neurovoider. I talked about it in a nicest, I think, maybe 2016. Yeah, you really like Neurovoider. Yeah, it was really fun. Uh, and then there's like the Mystery Dungeon games, including Pokemon. Uh, there's a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon game. There's a few of those out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Faster Than Light and The Binding of Isa and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'll link, I'll, we'll send a link to uh, the Berlin interpretation of roguelikes. And this is that whole list of yeah. roguelikes that they came up to with in this conference. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm curious, like, do y'all play roguelikes? And what do you like about them and dislike about them? Um, I've been really into Flint Hook yeah. recently. Um, that's a roguelike. Okay, so can we back up and re-say What's the difference between roguelike and roguelite? A roguelike it has a lot of the qualities of roguelikes. Um, I, I guess I so the clear enough for you. <laughs> yeah, right. It's really helpful. Um, it's 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 got procedural generation and permadeath, and but it also has like a lot of roguelikes were like turn based and and like they're supposed to simulate Dungeons and Dragons crawling. So like uh, procedural enemies, a whole lot of procedural things um, in it. Whereas a roguelike like take a roguelite takes those elements and like builds it into something different. So I guess Flint Hook is more of a roguelite. Okay. Because it's like a platformer, but also roguelike e. Before yes. we go any further though, describe like the what permadeath means in this context. Oh yes. Because I always think of roguelikes as games where you you die a lot. Yes. <laughs> Not just the once. Right. Permadeath is kind of a stupid term uh-huh. because death is death. So like it's, it's automatically permanent. But in video games that's not the case because you can just restart a save or whatever. In, pro tip, in, pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to turn off the game. <laughs> you don't have to return it to GameStop. <laughs> play playing, again. I've been playing games wrong my whole life. Uh, but in, in, because in video games, you can uh, reload your saves and stuff. There's this thing called permadeath, which means when you die, you lose that character and you have to start all the way from the beginning. So like imagine in Skyrim, if you're a level 20 and stuff and then you died and then that was it and you had to start back from level one. Uh, that's, that's what permadeath is. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so is it really just a way of saying, like, no save points? Like, no checkpoints? Kind of, yeah. Okay. And then some games have played with this notion a little bit, that some things save and some things don't. Some changes you make to the world persist, but right. or whatever. So, like, a lot of, in, 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 new, in certain roguelikes, like, in exactly, uh, 
Wizard of Legends that I've been playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll when you die, you'll like save all of these chaos gems that you can, and you can use those to buy new spells. And stuff. Yeah. So like some things may carry over depending on what game you're playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of them are you just have to restart completely over. Yeah. And um, Neurovoider is like that where you just start over completely. Mm-hmm. I remember when we played Neo mm-hmm. for I don't know if this qualifies, but just the the things you save and the things you don't. Yeah. I remember being really frustrated by mechanically you save all the weapons you pick up, like the physical items you find, but yeah. not the like mystical gems you get for your soul. Yeah. Even though in that game explicitly your soul carries on. And I thought that was a mechanical choice, but it made no sense for the story. Mm. Does that happen a lot in games like this in roguelikes where you it, it, like it really services the sort of like technical mechanical elements, and that's the most important part? Um, yeah, I, I mean, like in Wizards of Legends, they, I mean, there's not really an explanation as to why you keep your chaos gems, but technically you don't die, so like it's not yeah. like it makes sense. But in other games, the other games I played, you just die. And sometimes you like unlock new things that you can get in new campaigns. Yeah, but you don't like gain more abilities. Uh, like in Risk of Rain, for example, that's another roguelike I really enjoyed playing. Uh, if you do certain things, you can unlock more items that can come in in future plays. Okay. But like you're not any better in the beginning. Okay. So because when you just buy the the basic default, I mean, other than the previous generation, but I think yeah. like the the original Super Mario Brothers mm-hmm. is would be a roguelike because when you lose, I mean, well, I guess it has multiple lives instead of just the one. Right. But like, there's no save data that's in that true. game. That's right. True. Um, so I guess it's it. I mean, I don't know these people with their vocabulary. Like, <laughs> it's not an exact yeah. science. But Martha, describe Flynn Hook because, like you say, you're really, yes. really into it. Like, uh, what? I mean, what about it? Do you like, regardless of whether it fits any of these definitions or not? The platforming in it is really fun because you have the, this mechanic where you um, there's all these like rings that are hanging from the ceiling and different configurations and stuff, and um, you have this grappling hook that can attach to those rings. And so you can just jump around the rooms and um, and defeat em- enemies with your gun. But you're like, there's all these cool movement stuff that you can do, um, and like all the characters in it are really cool. Like they base them all on like they wanted them to be Muppet like, so they're all kind of uh, goofy looking um, and all like fish themed. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, like so you have to go into these. Um, you're a pirate and you're going into other space, you're a space pirate, and you're going into other people's um, spaceships mm-hmm. and trying to get all the treasure and, and get these um, um, waypoint gems that you feed to your compass, which has a little slug guy in it, and you have to get like a certain number to get to the boss. Okay. Um, so you have to go through multiple ships, and if you die at any point, you lose all the gems that the um, compass has eaten. Okay. But you do keep like black market tokens that you've gotten and on the black market, you can buy like um, cards that you put in um, ability slots. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, so as you go through, you get more and more like perks and more mm-hmm. and more, like you can upgrade your health and stuff like that. And you're also looking for like um, relics and um, like lore pages that you can then, when you collect them in the in the levels, um, once you die and go back to the menu, uh, you can go and look look at all the stuff you've collected. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, so like, as you go through the game, like you can build yourself up to be like a different, is Flint Hook the main character? Mm, I don't know the main character's name. I think so. Maybe. Flint, Flint Hook person. Uh, Isn't Flint Hook the implement? I think, I don't know. You're, you play this ghost pirate. Cool. Flint Hook cool. user. Flint Hook, you, you can build different Flint Hook users with different stats and stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. That's those are the things I like about roguelikes. Is like that you can build 
Uh, you can have a whole bunch of different builds, like you could be a mage one time or, or, or a, a, a rogue or whatever else. Um, and like, I really enjoy like trying to play through it as these different kinds of things and seeing how well I can do and how well I can build this character to, to it so I can... There's a lot of optimization and stuff, and I don't know. It's all, that's all <laughs> exciting to me. <laughs> I really enjoy that aspect of it. Um, so it sounds like Flint Hook has some, some of that in there too. Yeah, okay. yeah. And some of the... Like you can... Um, some of the perks you can get are are like make the game harder. Mm. So you can get things that are like, oh, the um, like enemies are stronger, and so you can fill up spots with those to like, give yourself extra challenges and stuff. Oh, which okay. I never do because, <laughs> um, but it does have procedural generation in that like each room is like there's a the set pattern of different room configurations, right. but then they put them uh, in different. Um, configurations uh-huh. for each ship, and they're like random each time. Yeah. Um, with modifiers, like you, you ha- when you go to pick a ship to attack, you get three different options, um, which are also random. Um, but they tell you a little bit about like what will most likely be in that ship. Uh, like, okay. oh, this one will most likely have a platoon of you know, uh, the, the guys that shoot in the air (laughs) (laughs) and this will most likely have you know these flies in every room that follow you or this one has um like mist Mm, okay and i think one reason i really like it is because it has that exploring part of it too because you don't know what the ship is going to look like and you have to build unless you find unless the ship happens to have a map room where you can get the whole map you have to discover each room yeah so you have to make sure that you're flexible and adaptable that's part of like the the uh, procedural generation uh, adds to that right mm-hmm. like it's important in that way because like not only do you have to build to your liking and make sure that your build is uh competitive enough to get through the end of the game but you also have to make sure that it's flexible enough so that you can deal with different encounters as you reach them um and i think that's important and i think that i, I think that's fun it sounds like you like it too <laughs> it's really fun yeah um uh you also played rogue legacy correct yeah maybe we should just get you to play platformers that have roguelike elements and then you'll yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> New strategy. <laughs> Mark, have you played roguelikes? I, I'm sure I have, but yeah. I don't like procedural generation in games. Oh, okay. Um, I, like, I want... Uh, games to me are as much about the environment as about the character and the skills and all of the, sure. and the gear and all that. Yeah, yeah. So like, I just have the hardest time caring at all. If it's <laughs> like, well, though this is, world is different than the last one. Like, it's, I don't know. It's like a psychological barrier. I can't. So I, I, I don't really okay. explore a lot of these. Like sure. when I play one that has that, it, I'm turned off quickly and then I, I don't tend to gravitate towards them. So I might, you know, if I spent more time with them, get into it. Yeah. Um, but I tend not to. Yeah. It's the procedural generation part that really gets me. Sure. I mean, roguelikes are also very uh, mechanically driven. Yeah. They're not very narratively strong. Yeah. At least I haven't played. I'm okay with that. I mean. Yeah. Oh, know. no. I, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, it, yeah it's. I, we talked. We had a. Procedural generation episode, didn't we? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yes. <laughs> we may have talked about this yeah. on that episode that happened. Apparently. Oh, I, I remember it. I mean, yeah. I get excited about making things that would be procedurally generated. <laughs> As a player, I'm not. That you don't want to play through it. Yeah. Really. Well, I mean, part of it is like you don't, you don't get to like specifically craft the world. There's the computer doing it for you. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. You can only do so much with the way you build it. So. Yeah. You have to set up uh, scenarios in which like the, the, the way it's built can't be a way that's impossible for the player to traverse or whatever. Yeah. And so as a player, I feel like um, 
you could just make that or like it it it, it uh, I mean people some games are better than others no doubt but it feels like it's a huge challenge as a de- developer to make something that has variety yeah and uh, with a system that also protects against like broken edge cases and right. stuff it's a very challenging thing to do and the, my limited experience with games that have procedural generation is it's very samey and oh, that, sure. and that okay. I get that I get frustrated there's no sense of real progress and the progress is usually built into then character abilities mm-hmm. and collectibles mm-hmm. and stuff like that and I'm not as excited about that either oh okay like I really like hard platformers yeah like like I think I've talked before where, like I think Mega Man is ugly but I like playing Mega Man mm-hmm. um but um, I think a procedurally generated Mega Man would just ruin everything that's good about Mega Man. Do you know <laughs> Don't what I mean? play 20XX. That is a procedurally generated I have, Mega Man. I have played that. Oh, okay. Do not like. <laughs> okay. So uh, I guess that's the fundamental. Like I just have a, I have a hard time getting at the core of what people like about it. I think sure. that already turns me off. Yeah. So it's kind of a tall order for someone to make one that I would be into, mm. which is not fair, I suppose, to the genre. But like I'm just kind of sitting on the outside. The reason I like the procedural generation is that uh, if there's something that's too hard technically for me to do, or, mm-hmm. and I, it doesn't block me from playing the rest of the game, where like sure. a traditional uh, platformer will have levels and then have levels be locked based on if you've beaten the last one or not. Sure, yeah. And so I feel like one reason I haven't liked platformers very much is I get stuck in certain parts and I can't get around that whatever feature it, it, yeah, or yeah. like technical series of button presses I have to do. And in procedural generation, I can just be like, oh, uh, I don't want to go in that room, <laughs> so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I suppose that's probably that's not just about making it so that you don't have to face challenges too hard. But if you're blocked in a traditional like progression system, you can't practice and get better because all you have is the stuff you've already beaten. Yeah, right? exactly. So a system like that could let, could let you get better yeah. by just giving you other variety of stuff. So I, I get that. Mm, okay. Well, in the interest of asking the question, what kind of, what, how, how would you build a roguelike? That, how would I? Yeah. I, I feel you've asked me this question before. Maybe. <laughs> I don't remember what my answer was. Okay. Um, I think when we were talking about procedural generation, like what would how, what would it work for me? Ah, okay. And I I, I, know, I came up with something on the fly, but I can't think of it now. Like I don't know, I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm having a hard time coming up with something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might just be that the feature's just not for you in yeah. which case. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it feels, makes us feel sadder than yeah. I intended. <laughs> well, I think it's about like what would get me excited about getting further sure right and i be i do like narrative games but i mostly i like games that that begin and end yeah you know yeah and so um uh, i don't like open games that just go on forever because that feels to me like a hobby not a game sure and i I, i'm not interested in that necessarily um so if there's something that could be that could get around that Mm -hmm. right that could give me a sense of progression and a, a target for me to aim for um, at, you know, for my experience, and not just sit down to play for a little while. Yeah, if that makes sense. Hmm. Okay. Oh, so maybe like if you were to build a rogue, I don't know how you would build a rogue like in that way that would make it make sense. But like maybe if you built a thing where like all of the steps you do help you progress in a separate instance. Like okay, that's, I'm not explaining this well. Uh, <laughs> let's say you, you're playing through the game and you get to a thing and like it unlocks something in like a separate part of the game. Uh-huh. And like as you go through this, as you go through the platformery part of this roguelike, yeah, uh, you do that and you unlock like a puzzly thing or something you can do in a separate part of the game. Maybe that would make it a little bit better. Yeah, I, I kind of get what you're saying there. So you have you 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 build a certain type of world, yeah. 
that is procedurally generated yeah. and, and but it has it has a conclusion then you move on to another type of thing right I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of games that are already like that uh, I hope there are <laughs> seems kind of like a basic idea <laughs> well if there isn't but uh, no that's idea. good I mean yeah. you know something of that type that could lead you to something and there's a, there's probably a ton of narrative hooks you can have to make that super interesting uh-huh. like why is it that way like, yeah. it, would be, I, it sounds fascinating to me. yeah you know, yeah. like, like it adds some linearity to our roguelike, which would be yeah. Maybe. So so okay, I I feel like I'm making a lot of assumptions. Like, uh-huh. do roguelikes ever end? Is that uh, they, I mean, they end in that like you get to the end of the campaign, and so you've beaten it. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. like, what what does a campaign look like? Um, uh, oftentimes it's just like a set of like okay, for example, Wizards of Legends has a set of six levels, and then three bosses and a final boss. Okay. Um, once you do all of that, then you are a wizard of legend. Okay. And you, then it, you've completed a run of the game. You've completed a run of okay. the game, in which case you, you unlock like a special spell that you can't unlock other, any other way. Uh-huh. And then like you get a special emblem that doesn't do anything. And then you get to see the credits. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But like that's, that's yeah, you've completed a run. So like you're encouraged to keep playing it yeah. because like you can unlock more stuff and you right. can buy more things later on. Um, so I guess effectively the ending is when you get everything. Yeah. At least in that game. Okay. Um, in in something like Risk of Risk of Rain, uh, once you get to the end, you get a little blurb that says your character did a thing, mm-hmm. and then uh, you get off the planet because I think that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and then it just ends. Uh, but like you can play it again because there's more things to unlock. Right. So like it's I guess it has the same progression as other games with a ton of unlockables. Mm-hmm. Once you beat the thing, you you can just stop there and that's it. But, yeah. Like, you can keep playing to unlock more stuff. Okay. Okay. So the real it is the moment to moment that's the the real the, the major difference. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That it might be too high. I'm thinking of um was it Moon Hunters? Oh yeah. I hated that game. <laughs> I hated that game so much. Okay. And it had a really clever narrative conceit mm-hmm. uh, that I thought was brilliant, and that you complete a run of it, which is like three days or whatever, yeah. and then and then you you sort of um, unlock one of the sort of story endings, yeah, and then you do it again, and then you build towards the full picture, yeah. And I thought that was such a clever idea, but a way to encourage replayability. But the moment to moment of that game was boring. <laughs> it's just run, like, and so yeah, I, may, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe mm. I just can't handle it. Well, maybe they just need to. Tighten up the pacing of the, the moment-to-moment part. Just less of that? Yeah, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, uh, yeah, your game is great. I want less of it, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> too much of a good thing. There may be, be no helping thing. me, is my point. It might be it, too. <laughs> uh, I did want to bring up Vengeance, because we uh, did originally build Vengeance to be more of a roguelike mm-hmm. than it probably is now. Yeah. Uh, in the past, what you could do in Vengeance is, was very roguelike. You literally could put new cannons and new gadgets and stuff on your ship. And uh, you'd go, you get through the campaign that way, and you use those abilities to help you on your way. But we've we've tuned that down a lot less, so, or a lot more, so that like there's you just have the characters, and you can buy add-ons that will change your character's abilities, but not so much to the point where like they're a completely new character. Right. Um, and in some ways, it's a bit disappointing because I really <laughs> like the building aspect of Vengeance. That's yeah. that's my favorite part of it. Um, but uh, and in other ways, it like makes the game a lot better so <laughs> i'm glad we did that uh yeah oh oh another question i want to ask is do roguelikes need to be difficult like do they have to be hard hmm. i think it would help mm-hmm. um because like the ones i've played are the things that i find most boring about it is just the walking around and killing enemies that are easy to kill sure because it feels so pointless yeah um if it was hard i, I don't know maybe maybe not 
I don't know. It, it really. What's what do people like about these games? Because they're so popular, and I feel like I have no idea. I mean, part of it can be the difficulty. Yeah. Uh, I like I said, I like a lot of it because like you can make different builds. Yeah. Uh, and and you and you can test them really quickly too because if it's a bad build, you just die right away. Yeah. And you just start over. <laughs> uh, and so that that like making different builds of characters and stuff is is exciting, and that's the parts I enjoy. And also, there's ten. There tends to be a lot of unlockable things you can get. Um. And so that makes it more fun too. Yeah. Uh, in um, in uh, uh, Rogue Legacy, uh-huh. you can break all the stuff, and that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of things to break in a lot of roguelikes. Wizards of Legends, there's a ton of pots and things you can just break. Paintings on the wall, you can break those. Well, as we discovered with Widget Satchel, just stuff to do is easy content. That's true. And so I think that's what that is. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's very fun. <laughs> Doesn't make it less fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I was curious about this because, like, the whole point of a roguelike is to go back and do it again if you don't succeed. But like, if you su- succeed the first time, then what was the point of the roguelike elements, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it has to be somewhat difficult. You have to be, you have to like go back to it again and again. Yeah, I think the uh, game has to justify those mechanics, right? Right, it has yeah. to have a reason for them. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not difficulty in every example, but that seems like a good way to justify those particular. That's mechanics. true. That's true. Yeah, I guess like another one example of a roguelike that's kind of not a roguelike, but it sort of is, is Monster Prom. I've been playing that game a lot. Yeah, kind of. It's 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 like a it's like a roguelike competitive visual novel. It's very strange, but it's very awesome. Uh, but like you have like stats and things, and you can use those to try to ask your favorite monster out on a prom date. Um, and I have not been successful once. I've played through it like four times. So that's hard. Yeah, yeah it's real yeah. hard. Uh, but like, you, there's no mechanical difficulty. It's just decision making and making sure that like you have enough stats to do the things that you sure. need to do. I think. But um, you, what you do randomly gives you random stats. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 not very clear what what you do will give you. That things. game is like flipping coins and reading flavor text for forty minutes. <laughs> like, kind of yeah. Yeah. Once you memorize what they're gonna say. Well, yeah, there's there's that too, and like it's not clear. Oh, I don't want to rant about Monster Farm, <laughs> but like it's not clear what decisions you, what stats you need for each decision, and it's not clear what stats, will, what things will give you certain stats, and it's not. It's, there's so it's, not it's Mario Kart. Yes. No, it's Mario Party. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little better than Mario Party. I think that's intentional in a game like that is to but be yeah. more party like it. It wants to hide those mechanics so you can't because it would not be very fun just if to everybody like, was sitting there and gaming just to, it. Yeah, exactly. Or, that doesn't seem like it. I don't think the game wants you to to care true. about those. There's things. a large multiplayer aspect to it, so uh, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe Mario Party is more appropriate. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, the other thing Nintendo announced, Super Mario Party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of jazzed about that, that one. That looked kind of cool, right? Yeah, we should have that here at Board Game Night. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, digression over. Okay. Uh, I think that's all I really wanted to say. Roguelikes, they, they need difficulty. Yeah. Or, or, I guess, what would you do alternatively? Didn't have difficulty to make it a roguelike still. I don't know. I want to know what you would do. Like, you know, this, this is... You like this genre? I it's do. newly discovered for you. Yes. You 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 you've made some of these mechanics and projects of yours. I have. Like, what's your fantasy roguelike? Huh. That is a good question. Um. I I guess I would like. I really like it when when you pick an item, it makes a big change to your build or like a big change to your decision making. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it when games just give you stats and like, oh, you hit things harder. 
ooh. Yeah. Uh, like, I want things to, like, synergize. And, like, that's what I really like about Fingence and stuff. It's like we have stats and we have augments. And both of those things can synergize together in unique ways, in interesting ways. Right. I really right. enjoy. So I want a lot of that. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. I hate the, the power-ups that are just, like, 20%. And, like, yeah, fine. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, I was thinking about the difficulty thing. Yeah. Uh, and if it needs... Isn't... Doesn't... Um, it's the one with... Ashley Birch is in it. It's story-based, and she can travel through time. Oh, uh... uh. And it's sad. No, life is strange. Life is strange. Mm. Yeah, I haven't played that, but isn't one of the mechanics to like go back in time and repick a different decision? Yes, that's yeah. kind of roguelike. Yeah, I suppose. And mm-hmm. it's more about story and less about difficulty. Yeah, there's not so much permadeath in that game, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, it's yeah. not really. Per- it's kind of different, but it's a similar. Like, oh, go back. Well, that's do it again. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, though. Like, if you, if, if I guess. Yeah, I suppose at that point, if you don't die and you just then you're just reloading a save and you're redoing your decision. I suppose that's true. I think what the difference is is that there are a lot of games where you that one is a mechanic in the game, but in most games, when you die, game over, whatever, yeah. you do your next run with more knowledge because based on your previous playthrough. That's just in you as a person. Yes. You have more oh, knowledge. but in roguelikes, you wouldn't because because of the procedural generation, and right. so it 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 replaces what what is compelling about what you've learned going through yeah. with. Stats and collectibles and and a bunch of different mechanics. You do still learn some things when you go through the games because you learn about like enemies and their, yeah, that's, that's their patterns and stuff. But you're right, like you still have to adapt yeah. to a new situation every time you play this roguelike. Yeah, but every time we talk about like the going back, I'm like, oh, that sounds exciting. I'm like, oh, that's not a roguelike feature. Yeah. <laughs> it's just video games. Yeah. yeah. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting concept to bring up. I yeah, I guess that's all I would really want is I want a bunch of things and a bunch of stats. That synergize well with one another mm-hmm. and make sure that that your game can have that, um, and th- that like you can approach the game in very vastly different ways. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I want a roguelike where you got like bajillion builds. Oof. <laughs> well, that's just me. <laughs> I think you'd find a lot of people excited about that. Yeah, that's probably true. But that'd be so much work. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't have to design levels, right? <laughs> which right. It's the the common knock against it, which is not true. But yeah, I know. you just have to design the system that builds the levels, right. which is way, way easier. easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, instead of going through traditional publishers, it would be way easier <laughs> to crowdfund your game, right? Uh, Except it's not. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Martha, you've got our second topic for today. Crowdfunding. Ooh. Yeah. So I think you brought this topic up actually, Stephen. I may have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, uh, there's a lot of different crowdfunding sites and strategies. Um, if you don't have money to make your game and you're trying to get it noticed like mm-hmm. it can be a social media campaign sort of idea to get yourself noticed um, you can turn to these crowdfunding sites for, for good or ill mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the most famous one is Kickstarter um, with Kickstarter you set an amount and if you don't get that amount from people then you don't get any of the money um, and then there's Indiegogo which I think you get the money regardless of whether you reach your goal or not There's, right you can when you make a campaign on that you can choose an uh, all or nothing or i'll take what i'll get um nobody does the all or nothing on that platform <laughs> well if you have a choice then yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, I think the appeal of the all or nothing is that when you're like 70% of the way there, you can motivate people. There's a value, but it's so scary. Yeah. Which is, I think, why people even choose Indiegogo is because they don't, they're too scared of the Kickstarter model. Yeah. Yeah. There's also Patreon, which is um, a less of a like one time campaign. Um, And it's like sign up to to pledge monthly a a certain amount a month. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically, the NPR, NPR model. Yeah, much. membership model uh-huh. um and then um uh, a newer one specifically for video games called fig which is uh, another one-time campaign mm-hmm. sort of one and how how does that one work how is that one different from kickstarter and stuff so um it was started because um there's a lot of problems that video games have run into doing crowdfunding stuff uh-huh. historically um a lot of the problems are like when you're kickstarting a, when you're putting something on kickstarter there's a lot of like psychology about why people donate to them and if you put the amount that you actually need to make a video game people will be like what why do they want that much that's <laughs> a greedy developers bar 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 yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> um so like people will put less than they actually need and then they can't finish the game because yeah. it's not actually enough money uh-huh. and or they get way more than they thought they were going to and then don't know how to manage it because they never had a hundred million dollars or whatever yeah um and same <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or like the the idea is that they have is really um, exciting and really ambitious, um, but maybe they haven't made that type of game before. They don't really mm-hmm. know what's go- like how much work it's actually going to take to right. make the idea, or yeah. it's just like not um, like they overpromise to the the backers about how what they're going to do and like even it's the sales pitch. Yeah, so they kind of have to. They, it's so the motivation to even if you don't want you feel you're being really responsible. You know, yeah, it's so easy to be like, oh, we're gonna put this in the game, and then realize, oh, that's tech- like technically not gonna work, and that, but then you've already promised it to people, so then right. they get all mad on the social medias and being like, ah, my, my. yeah, and a lot of these kickstarters are built like early in the process, right? So not everything has been resolved and figured out yet. Mm-hmm. So like, you might be like, yeah, this is totally possible, and then a year down the line, you're like, oh, wait, no. You know? <laughs> There's been a big change in how Kickstarter, how people approach Kickstarter campaigns, yeah. in that it used to be, like you're saying, very early in the process. Mm-hmm. You'd have some concept art, you'd have an idea, and you'd be like, I, I think I need this much money. There's a lot of unknowns there, but then you'd make the pitch. You're like, help me make this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, after so many people have been burned, in video games particularly, yeah. um, the model is now much more we have a beta ready to go. <laughs> Help us pay for the work we did, and uh, and it, it and uh, people expect it more like a pre-order process. Oh, okay, yeah. And so uh, uh, creators have been po- doing their campaigns later and later in their process when they can have more confidence in what they have, but also more to show because gamers are really like uh, gamers, particularly when they look at these things, want to like this is what I'm buying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think films still can get away with doing like a, a you know, a, more of a conceptual pitch. Um, but I think games have definitely veered towards the like, you know, fund this at the last minute kind yeah. of model. I mean, it, we, gamers have been burned quite a lot from these campaigns and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. There have been a lot of failed campaigns and not necessarily due to the fault of the Kickstarter people, but just like things got out of hand or something like you, all of those rules, all of those things you said, Martha, that you, that could happen like. That can happen. <laughs> and yeah, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. I think 
there's like a bunch of famous ones that have happened. Um, Star Citizen, I've seen a, mm. as a thing. Like they are still making it all these years later after doing a Kickstarter, and they're asking people to pay money for unfinished. Get, like parts of the game yeah it's like permanently in alpha and they're still accepting donations and they're selling in-game items for a game that's like in alpha wow and to fund it and they I think they've raised something like on the order of 150 million dollars huh. and that's just ticks up every day and that might be an old number like it's still <laughs> it's um there's a lot of great articles about like the history of of it and the state. Every year, there's like a new like, hey, what's going on with Star Citizen? <laughs> is, is it still nothing? Yes. Does it still cost a billion dollars? Yes. <laughs> um, and then you know it has a passionate fan base who feel like they're part of a community, and so yeah. there's a little bit of like charges of of exploitation of its mm. audience. And um, I do buy into a little bit of that, but. You know, um, I don't know. We should link to a couple of those articles because it's yeah. it's a it's a fascinating bit of like of uh, anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's also been like successful ones uh, campaigns. Um, one of which, which I think is the reason why Fig got started, was um, for Broken Age Double Fine's ah, yeah. uh, game, which had some controversy because they. So when they did the Kickstarter, they also decided that they were going to um, document the whole development process. I think we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. You can watch um, YouTube videos of um, how they made this game and how they did the crowdfunding and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and they realized halfway through that they didn't they didn't raise nearly enough money to pay for a whole studio to be making this game yeah. for as long as it needed to to be as good as they promised. Um, and how good as they wanted it to be. Uh-huh. Um, so they ended up releasing half of it. Uh, and then people got mad because they had expected A, to not pay for the game because they already had paid for it by backing it and B, it to be the full game and not just half of it. Yeah. Um, but it would not have gotten made all the way unless they had sold the first half of it to raise the money to bank yeah, the second yeah. half of it. Um and that game turned out really good. Um, yeah, I love that game. I backed it after its Kickstarter, like when they were still accepting donations just directly on their site. Uh, and I followed, they had a private forum where you could sort of follow development. And I actually didn't follow it that much because I was just like, I'll just wait. <laughs> um, and I think, I might be wrong, but I feel like anyone who backed it got both halves. But if you didn't back it, you had to pay for both halves and it cost twice as much. Oh, okay. That's what uh, it was. So it wasn't, Sorry. It wasn't, but, but yeah, it was to fund the development of the second half. And I remember saying like, oh, I believe all of this. This all makes perfect sense. They're doing this right. But people were terribly upset just because expectations were not met. Uh-huh. You know? So I think um, because of that and other Kickstarter things, um, uh, I know Tim Tafer was involved with Fig getting started also, people like Randy Pitchford from Gearbox. Oh, ah, okay. Um, and uh, who didn't announce Borderlands Three? Who didn't? <laughs> yeah. Sidebar. <laughs> Gearbox. What are you doing? Okay. And sidebar. <laughs> um, and a, a bunch of other people who I don't really know about, but I'm sure they're important. Um, <laughs> um, but so. Um, the way they're doing it differently with Fig, it's basically like Kickstarter, but um, the developers um, 
have to pitch their idea to Fig, and then they get selected. Okay. Um, and Fig helps them by first giving them an advance, uh, and then making sure that like they have really good social media campaigns and sort of guiding them through the whole process of um, raising money. And mm. uh, and then the people who invest through Fig um, get stock in the game, so they get like residual proceeds mm-hmm, from it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a publisher model without a publisher. Yeah. Right. Because the way yeah. I understand it is if you go through Fig, like Fig doesn't, I mean, they take whatever like percentage from the donations, but they don't then own anything about your project. Yeah. Right? Um, so that's what makes it different from just pitching to a publisher who would do a lot of the same things, right? Yeah. A lot of um, games that I didn't realize were figged. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, I haven't heard of a lot of success stories, but maybe it's because that just that information stays in the background. Yeah. Like so, kingdoms and castles—that game where you you like build a castle—and um, I've seen it advertised on Steam a bunch. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that was through Fig. Oh, um, uh, Thimbleweed Park. Um, really? Oh, that was through Fig. Uh, they did so. I guess um, you could also like developers can be part of the like full campaign, or they can get marketing help, like mm. sign up for two different. Things oh, and okay. looks like Thimbleweed Park, Stanley Parable, Hyperlight Drifter, uh, oh, wow. all got help th- with for marketing through Fig. Oh sure, okay. Um, Wasteland Three that seems familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a game I should know. Yeah. <laughs> There's one on here called What the Golf. <laughs> oh yeah, that game is. I think that's the one that was shown at GDC this year uh, at the um, at the Day of the Devs thing. I, we're going to cut all this if I'm wrong about it, but I think it's the one where <laughs> you, it's a golf game that's really a puzzle solver. And then uh, every level you're knocking something different. So it, it becomes this like absurdist. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think that- there's like a level called like, uh, um, uh, uh, like super golf or something. That's like, it's like super hot. Oh, that's but great. With, yeah. That's amazing. It, it's a game that just has a million ideas. Yeah. I think this is the game. I'm okay. Of. Yeah. It, it sounds familiar. It's There's like, like cars being golfed. Yep. In I remember I saw, when I saw that picture. showed off, I'm like, you know what? This is just another one of those adult swim humor style uh, expecting to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, oh, how random. Uh-huh. And then every, <laughs> every, as the levels were going on, I'm like, this has a ton of great mechanical ideas. <laughs> I'm hundred percent on board with this. <laughs> okay. Like it, it left a really bad impression, the first impression. And then just like, it took 30 seconds for me to get over that and just love it. Okay. Oh my God. There's a bunch of like fake reviews. Tried it once too complicated. I quit Albert Einstein. <laughs> 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 That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, I want that game. Uh-huh. It got one hundred percent, one hundred and twenty percent funded. Okay, so and that was through Fig. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a whole lot of games that I've heard of have been through Fig that yeah. I did not know. That's that's fascinating because I hadn't heard of Fig until y'all brought it up. Yeah. The other day, I think I think they are not trying to brand themselves like a Kickstarter. Sure. Like they don't. They're not trying to get like the open market to put their projects mm-hmm. on with yeah. it. And that's a criticism of Kickstarter. Is like they make their thirty percent. So like they don't care what your project is if it ever gets finished. Right. They just you know. or if it's like I made some pasta, fund me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Kickstarter used to be a lot different. It used to be much more like you had to apply, and it was a oh. process. And they're much more open now. I think that there was a lot of complaints about like it was kind of black box. Like no one knew what the criteria was. Sure. You had to sort of make a proposal and a pitch, and um, 
I think people were just like, just let us try it. What's the problem? And Kickstarter has always been, in terms of how they list their projects, always been very curatorial. Uh-huh. So you can't just go to Kickstarter, even today, and browse projects. Um, everything is, it, like, categories are curated in a way so that all those little dumb projects that make Kickstarter look bad uh-huh. are not very prominent on the platform. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of, it must be yeah. hard to manage one of these. But Fig, it just sounds like they're just like, this is our process. We're not going to advertise us. Like and that's probably why you never heard of it. I mean, yeah, I suppose it also like it kind of sounds like they they sound like publishers, yeah, but they're not, I guess, in a way, yeah. Uh, but as a result, like it's not as approachable as Kickstarter would be, yeah, yeah. So there's there's good sides and bad sides to it, right? I think I all think there's a balance that has to be struck, yeah. And I'm not you know. saying that Fig hasn't necessarily reached that balance, right? They're on. They're probably on the 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 wrong side of something and the right side of something else. Yeah. Like it's just no. It's a multiple multiple. Right. I would love to see the diversity number. Speaking of diversity numbers of yeah. the developers that get funded, like accepted by Fig. Yeah. I'm yeah. um, seeing as their like board of directors are all white dudes. Right. And but, a, lot, uh, a lot of that too is if if they are a service that's less sort of public, then it becomes a matter of having the uh, 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 resources and abilities to actually even. Uh, uh, Attempt to be part of that, right? right? So it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a big universe, right? Yeah. Whereas in Kickstarter, I mean, you can attempt it and fail, but it'll be you attempted it. <laughs> right, <laughs> you can just right. do it whenever, I guess. Uh, yeah. So like, there's there's good sides and bad sides too. But yeah, I um, that's cool. That fig exists like that. Like, yeah. That, and they're able to pseudo publish games. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I think it's a, a good compromise between and. The games that come out of it seem to be uh, like good, and mm-hmm. I think it would be cool to see more kind of incubator sort of things like this yeah, that would help. That's a really good word for it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, Patreon has been super interesting. I think for game development, mm-hmm. I know that um, that Ooblets has a Patreon, and that's how they've been funding a lot of oh, their yeah? development stuff. Um, it's cool because. Like you have a pretty steady stream of money. Yeah. Like it's not just in one big lump sum. Right. So, and it's easier for people to actually end up donating more money than they would have as if you were just like, like you can be like, yeah, I can, I can give like $5 a month, mm-hmm. which ends up being, you know, yeah. uh, after, you know, if you end up doing that for a couple of years, you end up paying like a couple hundred dollars or whatever. Right, yeah. And you wouldn't, that same person would probably wouldn't, Right. Donate to a Kickstarter that much money. <laughs> uh, it's like you said, it's the NPR model. It's the the pitch is like, well, one less coffee a month. You know? Yeah. Like, People are like, oh, I could do that. You know? <laughs> Which is why I give so much money to um to uh um Ooblets. It's not Ooblets. Why aren't you giving all your money to Ooblets? <laughs> I should be giving all my money to Ooblets. <laughs> That's why I give so much money to Maximum Fun because they're like. Yeah. But we're NPR sort of, but we're a private company, but we're NPR sort yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the Patreon model because uh, people aren't going to donate it unless they already like what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of makes sense in that way. Like, it's hard to get started as a Patreon person. Oh, but, yeah. like, if you have stuff and you've been proven in the past, then, like, people can trust you in, in potentially finishing this thing. Or maybe maybe they just want to fund you or support you in any ways, even if you don't finish the thing. Yeah. So, for example, a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. are on Patreon. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let us know if you would support us financially. Nice <laughs> feedback. Please, 
Please, please. Uh, but one of the things about a Patreon model is that it, uh, with Kickstarter or any of those, it's uh, it has become a pre-order process, right? I paid this amount for this thing, yeah, um, or this thing plus a you know a, a limited edition poster, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but with Patreon, there's two ways to do it. One is like uh, you can you can have like a, a member section where you can re- give them s- things. Our friend Will Tice does this, mm-hmm. where he does a lot of um, uh, sprite work and pixel art. And um, he uh, uh, makes that work available to his backers on like a Creative Commons license, but you can't get it unless. Anyway, so th- that's a pretty good model. But other times you just have a just support us just for funsies. Like, yeah. And I think with Kickstarter, it really was meant to be like donate money to me so I can make my art. And you know, then I'll give you like a free copy of it or something. Like the copy was free, right? The the money didn't pay for it. it yeah. Was, and that was supposed to be the model, but like uh, uh, psychologically, people can't handle that, and that's not anybody's fault, right? right? And, yeah. and so that's why it turned into this pre-order thing. Patreon still exists in a place where you can ha- set that expectation of like you're just going to be supporting me because I do good things, right? And like maybe you could get my things for free otherwise, or maybe the things I would give you as exclusive are not worth the money you spend, but that's not the pitch I'm making to you. The pitch I'm making is please support me. Yeah. And so Patreon still lives in that space. Yeah. And I, I hope it stays that way because mm-hmm. that's something that's needed, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's why I like it for mm-hmm. those reasons you brought up. Yeah. So patreon.com slash nicegapeslap, right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things you have to manage too. So like, you know, that's why a lot of people think about it and then don't do it. So it's a lot of work. Mark. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, listeners, let us know because, you know, it's not free to run this show uh, in time or cash. But anyway, all right, moving on. <laughs> um, are there any other games that you can think of that were uh, crowd Funded. I've been looking. Oh yeah, we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Or do you uh, not? Do you not want to talk about? No, that? I'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> I was gonna. There's a couple of examples I was gonna mention. Like Cyan's doing a lot of this. Oh uh, yeah. Abduction. That's true. Was, was on Kickstarter. That's true. They just did their missed 25th anniversary, which is like uh, that's definitely a case of pre-order this product. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yes. So uh, Metro Nexus. Um, this was before I met you guys. This was in 2015. Mm. That's how long I've been working on this thing. Um, and uh, this is really when I was just starting. I had just made a prototype and I had some artwork and I was talked to some uh, animator friends of mine to make some concept art for me uh, for their different cities in my game. If you've heard me talk about it on the show before, you know all this. If you haven't, it's not that important. Um, uh, so I went through a pro- I actually got pitched a, a, a service called Hatch Fund. Mm. And this is not Kickstarter, but it has a Kickstarter model. And it's specifically a nonprofit. So the idea is, is that, I mean, they take their cut, but um, they are a nonprofit organization and they are specifically meant to fund artistic projects uh, only, which isn't to say you can't, uh, uh, you don't need to put nonprofit projects on there, um, but that is their angle, right? So the, so I applied to them for Metro Nexus uh, um, really based on the idea of um, the different art styles in the game by a bunch of different artists. So the, 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 the angle on that at the time was much more of the collaborative nature of the visual styling of the game. Um, and uh, and they, they took my pitch and I did a, a, a campaign and I think it was like just $3,000, $2,000. was very small. Uh. Um, and one of the things that, that Hatch Fund uh, pitched to me was we're not like Kickstarter. We help you out. We okay. help promote we do a lot of this because I have done a Kickstarter prior to that, which I'll also tell that story. And so I was a little bit nervous about like, it's so much work. Yeah. It's like a lot of people buy like ads to sell their Kickstarter campaign. 
and they end up making like it ends up being like a razor thin profit. Right. We, I mean, we talked about this with the courts on, on yeah. that episode. That's right. Uh, yeah, and it was a whole lot of work for them. So. Uh, for for Greenlight, yes, yeah. yes, this was for Steam Greenlight, right. right? And it's not even a crowdfunding. It's had a similar model, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so with Hatch Fund, um, they, they were very much like we're different, we're smaller, we're more focused, we're more curated. And um, the truth is, is that's true. They they were, but their influence is much smaller. Ah, yeah. And so I ended up not getting a ton of actual real support from them, although they did make good on the promises they made to me. It just sounded, so I'm not trying to like bash them or anything, sure, right. um, but that's how these things always go. You get like family and friends and a couple other people. Yeah. And so that's what it was for me. And so I just was like, you know what? This is a, this is a personal art project in a sense. Um, I'll go, unlike my previous thing when I, through Kickstarter, I'm like, I'm, I will actually just pitch to my family and friends because that's, that is your first circle. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was actually pretty successful. So I was successfully funded for that, uh, which is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was so long ago, yeah. <laughs> like now. Um, and really I don't think, I don't think the money has done me any good mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that I think that like, um, because I did, I did run a couple of Facebook ads, but it was, it w- I didn't eat into all, all that or not. But yeah, the time I spent on it was probably like, two and a half months of like managing it, doing the video, coming all the stuff, coordinating it all. Like it was time I could, I just should have spent on the game. Mm. And so I don't regret it exactly. Going through the experience was really interesting. And the fact that it like, you know, I think I cracked it by a couple hundred. So like, I felt like pretty good. Like I, like I made my goal, but it was incredibly modest goal. And it was mostly friends and family who supported me. And like, that was also a good feeling is to have like, this is this thing I'm doing. And like, you got all my friends and family, like you make f- movies, right? I'm like, yeah, but I'm gonna make a video game right now. <laughs> and so the fact that they followed me on that was very, a, fr- a friend of mine made a, re- a fairly large, large donation who I'm not terribly close with. Like, and, and that was a great, really like, it was just a fun feeling. Yeah. And uh, you know, emailing thanks and stuff. So it was a good experience in a lot of those ways, but like it didn't really help the project mm. at all. Um, but I, I, you should actually, if you are, uh, um, more nonprofit oriented, more uh, like if you're making like games for art installations, uh, if you're a studio artist um, uh, in any capacity, you know, you know, outside of video games, you should look into Hatch Fund because uh, it's been a couple of years. I'm I'm curious to see where they are right now. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was a, it was an interesting it was an interesting experience for sure. But it was so long ago now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about that uh, uh, so much. Uh, uh, um, yeah. But I did do Kickstarter before that. Um, it's a film I made called Expo Somnio, which is a short film. And uh, it's a story of a woman who has a daydream while she's uh, in line at the post office. Mm-hmm. And then the daydream is the movie. So oh, cool. uh, all the characters who are in the line with her become different characters in the... I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. Um, I didn't get shown anywhere. <laughs> but, oh, uh, is it available anywhere? I'll, I'll show it to you guys. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll put it... I don't know. I don't... Movie night, movie night, yeah, movie maybe. night. Um, <laughs> Yo, uh, so um, I did a Kickstarter for that and it, and it failed. Um, oh. it, uh, I think I got like maybe 20, 30%. Um, and um, uh, part of that is I, I didn't understand Kickstarter at the time. This was also back when you did have to pitch to Kickstarter. So I did have, I don't think they were, the threshold was that high. I don't, you know, but you did have to submit a proposal. It wasn't total floodgates at that point. Mm. I think it was 2010, 2011 around then. Oh, okay. And um, God, it's been so long since then too. Uh, <laughs> even longer. Um, but uh, one of the things I, w- I did on the, on the Kickstarter is I, I, I you want to have like fun kind of um, rewards 
And I didn't want to do a lot of like financial awards. So I'm like, you'll have a copy of the film, but I'm not going to make Blu-rays. Like I'm not, you know, I'm oh, not, yeah. I, I was, even then there was already a lot of stories about people like over promising their physical rewards. Right. That eats into your Kickstarter. Exactly. Absolutely. And like the part of that is, is okay. Yeah. But like I, if, in my case, I was like, you know, this movie is not going to make any money. Uh. So I, I met the, I have to protect whatever money I get from this. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I did that was really fun was I had a part in the script where a character opens up a mailbox and there's something inside that's kind of like, it's sort of a non sequitur. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was trying to, should it be this, this or this? What's the funnier joke, right? And I'm like, I don't know, I'll just let my backers pick. <laughs> so I, I had this little thing where like, if you donate any amount, you get every dollar you donate gives you one vote in th- these three things. Uh, I think it was like um, toothpicks, uh, peppermints, or something else. And okay. I did not explain what that meant. Okay. And that probably maybe not, it didn't help a little bit. I was hoping the mystery would sell it. Yeah. Uh, it ended up being peppermints, but, <laughs> um, so I had fun with it. Yeah. Doing the campaign. Um, but like, and making the video was nice because I got to sort of distill my concept, but I hadn't shot anything yet. Uh, the script was more or less done, but like I didn't, I didn't, I don't think it wasn't done fully at that point. Sure. Um, and I hadn't cast it yet. So it was pretty early in the process. Um, but yeah, that didn't go. And I, so I didn't really understand Kickstarter. So one of the things definitely is I was like, Oh, if you look for movies in Minnesota, you'll see mine in the list. Mm. Nope. <laughs> That's not how it works. Oh. This is not how it was at that time. Oh. Um, every list and sub list is curated by Kickstarter. So if you want someone to go to your Kickstarter page, you need to promote it. There is no, unless Kickstarter is like, puts that bad, like Kickstarter featured project. Um, there, you cannot browse Kickstarter for a project that's on Kickstarter. You can't oh. say to someone, hey, my project's on Kickstarter, go find it. It's, they can't find it. That's wow. not how it works. Huh. You have to, and so what is the point of Kickstarter? <laughs> like, why don't I just make a website and have a PayPal link? Like, yeah. You know? um, and so, uh, like, I was, I was very flustered by that. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know, I didn't have, like, a ton of sour grapes, but I was like, oh, okay, this is not, I'm, I'm you know, there's no platform support here at all. And that was definitely the, the tide turning where it was starting to be more like the, 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 the novelty of Kickstarter had, I think just worn off at that point. Sure. Okay. And so, but not everyone knew exactly how it worked. So it was a definitely education for me in that process. Mm. Um, again, I'm kind of happy I did it, but like, um, it was an- another waste of time, <laughs> but I think that's definitely true for projects that, you know, like, what is it like 10% of, of all things get all of the rewards, you know, like yeah. uh, I'm not saying about Kickstarter specifically, but like that's the sort of like model of artistic endeavor is that most things don't go. And so um, I totally understand like the, the idea that you only ever hear about the successes and then the failures are such epic failures mm. that you're like, Oh, of course they failed. They didn't know what they were doing. Right. And there's just tons of people who tried and just wasted a little time. Yeah. And like, I think that I, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm like, I'm speaking for that crowd, I guess. <laughs> So I don't, I guess, I don't know. I don't have a lot of recommendations. Fig sounds interesting. I'm curious about that because uh-huh. that seems more, and I've been doing these, uh, uh, preparing these pitches for uh, console manufacturers for Widget Satchel. Mm. So I'm in that mode now of like pitching a project. <laughs> so um, maybe I'll look at Fig, but like, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, bootstrapping, I think, is just the, the, less, the least stressful way to fund a project. Like, it means you have to scale down. It means you can't have your ambitions are structured and you have to be able to be in a position where you could do that. And that's right. not always easy. Yeah. Um, but Kickstarter is just, I don't know that like those crowdfunding things. I feel you need to find someone who knows what they're doing and is expert at that. I don't think anyone could just be good at that um, without a lot of effort that just eats into other stuff. Yeah. You gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta learn it. It's a skill. Yeah. It's not just something you can just do. Yeah. Like marketing and yeah. most things in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I've gone on about this just because of my experience. I'm really trying to make sure that I'm not 
that my experience, my sort of experiences aren't coloring it exactly sure. because I'm saying like, I, I am going to be in one of the majority of people who, who, you know, had some mild success or no success on yeah. these types of things. And that is always how it's going to be. Yeah. So I have to make sure I temper my experiences with like whatever recommendations I have. Right. I, I think I'm, I, I must be biased by, based well, on. Well, I mean, part I of it is also like, I'm sure there are a ton of Kickstarters that are not related to games that yeah. are like, they only need a certain amount. They don't need a ton of money to make sure. Them. Sure. And so like, those are probably successful uh, for the reasons that they like, that they need them for. They don't need, yeah. like they might just need a thousand to make a cool Trebuchet, I don't know, <laughs> or something. And then I'm going to war, but I, I just want to get started. So if you can help me build this trebuchet, yeah. please, that would be nice. I mean, also, that costs way more than a thousand dollars. I'm sure. I was just, See, there we go. It's happening again. <laughs> Ask for less than you need, and it's not going to happen. There it is. But like, you can make small. There are small projects on Kickstarter, I imagine, and yeah. those get, might get funded in. And like if even if they don't get funded, it's not as big of a deal because they're like, oh, darn it, I can't make this. Thing. I appreciate the optimism, but yeah. those kind of like um, scrappy kind of like amateur projects, those just don't exist anymore. Oh, well, okay. Kickstarter well, is a business for the people who put their projects on Kickstarter. Like, I mean, Kickstarter works really well, I think, for like small physical project like products. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of um, I like enamel pins and there's a lot of people who end up selling their enamel pins yeah. through Kickstarter because they um, like don't know if the design is something that people actually want so yeah. they don't want to spend time like man with manufacturing costs right. unless they get enough people to gonna, that are going right, to buy right. it yeah. so yeah and board games seem to be do really That's well true. on yeah. Kickstarter board games are definitely having their moment I think that video games maybe five years ago. I think board games now is where the most success stories are happening. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Uh, a leader Games is a is a company locally that right. has uh, done a couple projects uh, through them. Really yeah. successful. Yep. Yeah, they've yeah. done good. And that's I think what's worked for them is that they've also been building an audience outside of it. So they've been they've been doing it all right. They've mm-hmm. been and they've been putting the amount of effort it requires. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that is what it takes. Right. They know how to do it now. So oh yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's our show. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to the Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Tell us if you'd give us some money sometime, all right? Uh, <laughs> lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host as well. Get all the links and notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.club. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. We should um, have something we hum when one of us needs to look something up real quick. Do, do, do. Something that's not the Jeopardy theme. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the price is right. Better. Okay. <laughs>
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 